0: Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Computer, this is Data.
1: I'm an android. I
0: Cranjus McBasketball. I was processing all of the information. Processing.
1: It's one of those idiots who believe in analytics. Cranjus McBasketball. Analytics was crap.
0: Does not compute.
1: Just because you got good stats doesn't mean you're a good team. <laughs>
2: Hello and welcome back to the Lakers Exceptionalism Podcast. My name is Tom Z, joined as always by Tim, aka Cranjus McBasketball. And Happy New Year, everybody. Hope you had a great holiday. Have a, a Merry Christmas. A happy Holidays. The Lakers did not, Tim. The Lakers are <laughs> struggling with every ounce that they have to hang on. And they have been... It, you know it's crazy? And I'll just start throw this to you here. The in-season tournament was less than a month ago, dude. Fewer than 30 days ago. And that feels like uh, seasons ago. So... How are you feeling right now? Uh, just in general, maybe not necessarily the team. We'll get into the comments here. Uh, uh,
3: life is very good other than the Lakers. <laughs> that's that's how I would characterize my, my current situation. Had a you know, happy holiday and uh, spent some good time with family. Back home now. And I know I, I missed a number of games in terms of being on stage, but I was watching as you were doing the games, and I've seen a lot I did not like. <laughs> and so... I'm glad we've got this time to, to reflect on some of that. And I certainly took my time yesterday with the video I did, uh, 98 minutes talking through what those issues have looked like. But, man, the the my vibes are good, but the Laker vibes are bad.
2: Um, and the Lakers, you know, after getting healthy again, you know, in the middle, toward the end of December, having other issues, they are starting to get more injured. We are recording this the afternoon before the Miami Heat game or D'Angelo Russell and Rui Hachimura have been ruled out already. LeBron is questionable, but he has been the last few weeks uh, consistently. I think he'll probably play. So really quick, just kind of teasing out what you did yesterday. You made a big case for change in uh, on stream, and that's now on our YouTube ch- uh, channel, Lakers Exceptionalism. Go check it out. Like and subscribe. Helps us out a lot. So you, t- I, I, I've gotten through parts of it already, and you've, made a big case for the kind of the lineup construction and we've been pounding the table for this a lot but the lineup change since d'angelo russell specifically i feel like has been moved to the bench the lineups in the first quarter have continued to lose ground and really seed uh, set up the team for failure for the rest of the game and playing catch up so hit them with a little bit of a a recap and and get them to go over there to watch it
3: yeah so i talk about a lot on on that stream and uh you know you can you can go double speed if you need to but really walked through like here very specific you know examples of things that we have seen with the rotations that we don't like with offensive roles not making sense for i think i gave three examples of players where when you bring them to the team and you see what they're good at you see what they're bad at and you try to figure out how does this guy fit into what we want to do that doesn't match how they're being used right now. And so I, I outlined that and, and Hey, Hey, here's how impactful it could be. If you just tweak a couple things here, or there, I talked through the offensive playbook and the fact that, you know, 10 games into the year, there were some holes and I was like, ah, there's some holes. It's okay. 10 games into the year. You got to be patient with how, how long it takes to install things. We're like nearly halfway into the season. And the Lakers have some big holes in terms of things like concepts and plays to attack drop coverage which is the most common coverage to defend the most common action that you run. And so it's very largely impactful. And yet we haven't seen the team build in the right answers to that. And, and it's actually been a step back from last season. And so I give some specific examples, draw some things up, explain that I talked through the, the offensive play calling and how the frequency was looking pretty good. There was yeah. points earlier this the season, Tom, where I was like, Hey, we're 50 games ahead of schedule. You remember that?
2: Yeah. Yeah.
3: And that's not the case I'll, anymore. Yeah like it's gone down it's been bad it's gone down and really concerning and like that shouldn't happen the things like how they're calling plays and which sequences of plays they're calling I give some examples there of, of how that's looked worse the defensive roles and using guys in ways that don't make sense for them how it's looked worse looking at the defensive scheme big picture and how how we've been deployed doesn't really match what makes the most sense and with all of these areas, there are some common themes and threads when it comes to like, how do you get to this point? Because for just about every one of these, we've seen the team do better at these things in the past. Like they were doing better with the play calling. They were doing better with the playbook last year. Offensive roles haven't, you know, it's not just like this team doesn't know how to run a pick and pop or something, or like, there are things that we've seen them be better at and this coaching staff has been better For stretches of this year, and especially towards the end of last season and into the playoffs, it's not like they've just been bad the whole time, but they've like, it seems like they're trying to juggle too much in game and then just in general. And we're seeing just a lack of those internal structures and systems that I talked about on our last pod together result in poor performance. And so I walk through all the specifics. I walk through, here's what I'd want to see instead. I walk through, hey, in game, here's how a good structure could look. I walk through the last like 20 minutes of the video are me explaining how at the college level, several years ago, when I was a teenager, I set up a, you know, a system of, you know, here are the metrics that are important to us and our, our coaching staff and our players. You know, these are the things that are important. How do we measure them? And then how do we figure out how to weigh them? And then putting together a report card so that a coach never needed to look at a spreadsheet. They could post game, get a quick report card, quickly know, oh, we struggled with this, And then they'd go to the next page. Okay, here are the specific players that struggled. And it was really easy to tie the info to coaching decisions. And it was set up in a way with that. And then the the other stuff that we did outside of the the post game report, where if you were slipping in any of these areas, we knew immediately and could address things immediately. There was no like, oh, shoot, I didn't realize we were using this guy this way. Or oh, shoot, I didn't realize we weren't calling plays as frequently. Things that shouldn't go overlooked weren't able to be overlooked because we had a good process in place to capture that. And I'm sure the Lakers can do a better job than I did. I was again, a teenager. Um, But it is an example of how I've done that successfully. And actually in fact, right now I'm working with two different teams that aren't the Lakers to install similar things with, with what they're doing. And I can't speak to that, but it's stuff that is just good to use in general in basketball. And so I walked through that and then talk through, like, if you want to fire him, what does that look like? who would replace him who are the internal candidates who are the external candidates if you want to keep them how do you drive accountability how do you you know get to the right place do we need to bring people into the room do we need to remove people from the room like talk through all of that as well so it was a long discussion and i think the specifics are really where the value is and it's the kind of stuff that is probably going to make you upset and i think that's where we need to be right now is not just generally like oh, we're three and seven but some things are going well no we're three and seven and we're taking steps back in so many places and three and seven over the past 10 games and taking steps back in so many places. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's a necessary, I mean, if you can get through the whole 90 minutes, go for it. Great. That's fantastic. If you can only, you know, get through a little bit at a time, that works as well, but you will leave that fully understanding what isn't going well and how it can be addressed and how some of the root causes can be addressed. And I think that's really the key thing. Like we can make a trade, and you could be a better team, but you're going to still have these root cause issues,
2: right? I and I think it's important to for Lakers fans too to realize that firing Ham doesn't simply fix it, right? It's not just an addition by subtraction. You might think that, but it's not a, uh, a a meaningful gain in scheme. And like you have to implement those things, and that takes time, right? You have to. Build into change. It doesn't change overnight with one guy getting losing his job, and it's always easier to fire someone or to remove them from the situation. But it it's fifteen plus coaches, guys, right? It takes the collective to kind of come together and and build on some of these things. And yeah, I, I don't know. It's it's not as simple as just firing Ham and and uh, installing Phil Handy is probably the most practical solution. There is it.
3: It's not. Yeah. You're right about the brain drain that you have from losing that guy. And I mean, the, the, one of the final stances I end up arriving to is like, if you were to fire him, this is what would need to be happening behind the scenes for, for me to pull that trigger. And if that's not happening, it's so much easier for you to just fix these other little structural things, keep the staff as they are, and you should be able to improve. And like you can fix the the stuff that they're having issues with rotationally and with scheme, you can absolutely fix in one to two weeks, no doubt about it. I have firsthand experience being involved with some of these things, and if we could do it at the college level and high school level, you can certainly do it at the professional level. And it's more around like, can he continue to get the buy-in from the team? And you know, at how many bad decisions does need? You know, how many individual players not being used correctly, which is bad for their careers, it's bad for team success, it's going to make their agents frustrated. Now the front office has more heat on them from agents, why is, you know, why are you using this guy this way? It doesn't make any sense. He's going to struggle to get another contract. You know, we took a discount to come play for you or what? Like that's problematic. How, how many of those guys can you have happening simultaneously while the team also isn't performing while starting lineup decisions don't make sense where there are you know another handful of guys that are being used correctly but they're being snuffed out of starting lineup, you know, spots. And so you're slowly alienating, potentially, a lot of guys. And
1: right. at a certain
3: point, if you don't fix these things, you're lowering your ability to influence others and, and comm- you know, that commanding presence isn't so commanding anymore. And you can have you know great rotations and run good X's and O's, and if a team isn't out there hustling and putting forth their best effort and they're disengaged and they're they're just coasting instead of, you know, fully engaged and trying their best, you're not going to get to where you want to get ultimately. So, you know, there is a scenario where Ham needs to be fired, but hopefully I, I don't think we're there yet Given what given what I know, but we're certainly tracking in that direction. And these next couple of weeks are going to be critical for the team to turn these things around. And if they don't, they're probably going to have lost the locker room a month from now and be in a worse spot in the standings, and be at the point where it's like, is it too late to make a trade and fix anything? Is it too late to fire him and have that, you know, get the job done? So right now, four games out of, uh, what is it? Fourth, Four games out of fourth place, you, you're still right there. You just got to fix these things. But if you don't do it quickly, your window may be gone to, to hit the upside and the ceiling for this team.
2: It's, it's tough because I feel like outside of LeBron and AD, right who on the team do you feel like probably has a uh, a feeling of contentment with their role probably Torian Prince maybe Cam Reddish mm-hmm. other than that I could see an argument for every single guy being discontent with the how they're being used and fairly so you know what I mean I think Ooh, you want to play that game should we go through guy by guy Yeah, I think so. So uh, LeBron and AD, I don't think they're super happy too because I think they care about winning, right? But they're getting their Mm -hmm. minutes, they're whatever. They're not being used like quote-unquote improperly, right? They're the engines Mm -hmm. of the team. I think Torian Prince is probably getting more run than we could have expected. I think he's getting a shot to start in a big market to show what he can do and space the floor around stars, show how he can, you know, raise that. You say what you will about him, but I think if I were Torian Prince, I'd be content. Right
3: now, the, the one thing with him that I think I agree from a minute standpoint from a lineup right, standpoint, right. he's in a Movement great spot. shooting, right? The fact, yeah, the fact that he's being used as a stationary shooter, that's fair. He's limiting the impact he can provide. And maybe that's not something he personally is caring about a bunch, but at a, I don't know, from a Tim perspective, that matters to me because that means we're not getting as much production, as much gravity, as much impact right. out of him. So yeah, I can see that going either way, but you're probably right in that, in those traditional things players care about, he's been able to maintain that role, even through some of the early season shooting struggles, I'm stuck with them, and that can build confidence, that can build that bond, that can build sure. that trust. So he's been treated well, the scheme just, you know, he's not being fully utilized.
2: Yeah, and if he was able to get some more of those movement shots, that's more dollars on his next contract. That he mm-hmm. can shows more production and more v- varieties of shooting, and that's even more valuable, right? So, oh yeah, I, I can speak to that. Like,
3: I, I we consulted with a player two, three years ago in the offseason where he was picking between three different teams to sign with, and we looked at here's how those coaches utilize players. And with this team, you're most likely going to be a movement shooter. With this team, you're most likely going to be an off-screen shooter. With this team, you're probably going to be a stationary shooter. And here's how we expect that to translate to impact for you and dollars for you based on your skill set. And that's something that I don't, I don't know that every agent is doing, but it's something that is certainly being done. And you know, they could potentially care about. But let, let's, uh, I guess, Austin Reeves, the next guy in minutes. He's got 29.4 minutes per game. How do you think Austin is feeling these days?
2: Well, I mean, you know, I talked a little bit about it on stream, but take it as you will. if you if you believe Anthony Irwin's sources, he does know people you know who are fairly close to the team. It sounds like him and Ham have had, you know their their own differences or disagreements. I don't think as arguably your third best player coming off the bench, you know, he's a a team guy, so he's saying all the right things. I think Michael Corvo posted a quote of Austin. Um, today uh, asking about how he's dealing with coming off the bench. Talks about just wanting to win, but as a competitor, you know, all these guys want to start, right? So, mm-hmm. and it's not just starting, but the the limitation with minutes, it seems like could be and and also the regression on defense of his role and his importance like that. You know, he just signed a contract, but I think he's capable of more in that. So I would absolutely be I wouldn't be, you know, like pounding the table for the coach to get fired publicly, obviously, but it's it's frustrating. And I would totally feel frustrated if I were Austin.
3: Yeah. And I can understand the way that he's been brought off the bench and what the team had done immediately following that. It is, you know, some understandable. We want to we want to get more defense in the starting group. Um, We think Cam Reddish can shoot better than, than he has. Uh, and we're going to get you plenty of minutes and you're going to close games and you're going to get tons of usage. You're going to be a playmaker. You're going to be a scorer. So in that way, during a lot of the season, like I, this wasn't something I was actively thinking about as, you know what? Austin's probably unhappy right now. It's been recently when DLO has been taken out of the starting lineup where I think the most natural thing to try at that point would have been to just put Austin in and just swap the two of them. And if you didn't want to do that, you could have gone with. I don't know. You could have thrown Wood in there, which is a lineup people wanted as a starting group earlier in the season. I think it's still situational, but that would have made more sense than putting Cam and Rui together, uh, or sorry, Cam and Vando together. So like just that specific Cam, Vando, Prince, LeBron, AD group. And then you know there was a game where like Rui was in there. Like some of those specific moves going that way instead of putting Austin in. And then just putting Austin and D'Lo together off the bench, that to me, if I were Austin, that would be irking me. And I think that's where he has a reason and a right to be upset today, right now, in a way that a couple of weeks ago, he probably was just like, you know, I'm getting my minutes. I'm closing games. I'm able to impact the game when I'm out there and be used well. He probably wasn't all that upset. And, And now that I would say that recently that shifted for him.
2: Yeah, and again, we're we're speculating. It's nothing we we know for sure, but it's it's clear on the uh in the answers and how he's being used. Like it's tough, you know, it's it's a tough <laughs> thing to deal with. And I think D'Lo is a a much more objectionable benching than Austin. At least Austin, you know, he was struggling at the beginning of the season offensively and coming off the bench, he was able to, you know, put it together, provide the Lakers with more scoring um be more efficient. His turnover problem has peaked back up in the last few weeks, but his uh, his play objectively improved once he came off the bench there.
3: Yeah. Yeah, I I think Delo him being benched and then not being replaced by a point guard is probably something that Same. probably has him a little annoyed. Um you're you know re you putting him right back together with Austin as that do all that defensively the team was worried about and and now they don't seem to care. So it, I feel like the circumstances of the benching and what they went with instead is probably, I don't know. It's maybe not hugely upsetting to him, but the, you know, just getting benched in general, understandable as is, is, you know, something to be upset about. And he had been one of the team's best shot makers up until that month of December where he kind of plateaued out a bit and was just taking really tough shots and his efficiency went down. Um, Yeah, I can, I can see reason for it. Like he's still getting minutes, but he's not been someone the team has closed games with. He's still getting paid a good bit of money, but clearly not someone the team is trusting in a way that you would want if you're, if you're someone like him. So I can see him, you know, leaning upset, but not being, you know, on the end of the spectrum, like some of the other guys might be you know, more unhappy.
2: And running through some of the other guys, I think. Like I mentioned, I think Cam Reddish has some reason to be, you know, content as far as getting the opportunity to play again in a big market. Started most of the season at this point, has mm-hmm. a success story on the minimum, and you know, as a guy who's kind of on the fringe, maybe of being out of the league, he has provided value on defense while still having some of the same problems on offense he's always had. But there is an improvement, a material. I think he was the biggest last time I looked. A, Rotation wings improvement for D. LeBron year over year uh, from mm-hmm. last year to this year. So, yeah, that, that's great. That's an opportunity. That's what he was looking for, right? Probably what he signed with this team.
3: Yeah. And that's the kind of thing that you, as the team, can look to pitch to future free agents as hey, come revitalize your career. We're going to put you in a. He's changed from a wing stopper to a point of attack defender, and it's been a great move for him. And to your point, like his, his defensive impact has skyrocketed, his defensive playmaking has gone up. He's not hitting his threes. He's shooting 25% on wide open threes this season. And that is awful. It's really, really bad. But he himself and the opportunity he's been given has certainly been there. He's played 27 of the 34 games and he's started a good number of them. So he's got to be happy. One last thing on d that that uh, the chat brought up. You watch Torian Prince be played through his shooting slump. But when you go through your shooting slump, you get benched. That could be a... Could be a way he's interpreting getting banished, and you know, thinking it's inconsistent. More not necessarily that it's wrong, but it's inconsistent. Now, fair. How about Rui? What do you think Rui is at?
2: I I mean, I think I would be kind of frustrated. The la- it's not just the lack of minutes; it's the lack of minutes with like the uh, the Im- closing. He doesn't close ever, right? He's very rarely in with LeBron and AD uh, outside of the recent stretch where he's kind of been inserted into the starting lineup because Cam has been in and out. So, you know, Rui's been tough, man. He's had a tough month shooting the ball, started really well, but he's now just 36.8%. He was up around 43%, which was too high. It was going to come down. But Mm -hmm. now it feels like when he shoots it, it's not going in, and I feel like, the touches are are inconsistent, and for somebody who was a big part of the playoff you know push these Lakers team had, I don't see him in the same role and i don't know I don't know why we're not seeing him used quite as like a post you know guy, a bigger body who has some lateral mobility for some of these more versatile uh wings mm-hmm. and bigs i going into the season, we were wondering, can he be a three defensively to start. And he, they haven't even really tried. Um, he hasn't very got, gotten much opportunity there. Much like Austin, I feel like in his defensive, um, his defensive application has has not seen the growth that I thought we were hoping for.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's he's had some inconsistency with touches. We we have a new free tool at b Ball Index, our, our NBA player stat distributions and trends thing. We just got it up like a day or two ago. And I just pulled that up. Um, I'll, I'll throw the link in the chat if anyone wants to check that out. Here, uh, plugged Rui in, went to touches, and you can see, you know, game by game how up and down his touches have been. And recently, they've they've trended down. And they started the season yeah. down, and it went up, and then it went down, and then it went up, and now it's on the way down. And it's it's inconsistent. And his minutes have been just this month. I know he only played eight minutes last game because he got hurt, but. Uh, nine in that in-season tournament game then 29 24 34 17 16 then up to 34 then 30 29 28 17 like it's been very up and down in a way that you know to an extent some of it is due to injuries but at the same time he's been someone that's seen such a massive swing and i'm sure it's hard to to get in a rhythm as, as someone in that situation uh Next guy is really easy. Christian Wood, you were brought in. They courted you for months of the offseason. Right. You had your daily call with Darvin Ham, and, right. and then you play well enough that people want you in the starting lineup. And then you just don't play for a while um, out of nowhere. And he was just kind of relegated to no minutes or like garbage time minutes. And now all of a sudden he's playing again. And it just seems very herky-jerky. He's had a lot of times where he's, again, switching defenses. He's got a mismatch and they're not going to him. He's not being, he's standing still wide open on pick and pops. And I know he hasn't shot the best. He's below his norm, but he's been one of the most prolific pick and pop shooters in the NBA over the past two seasons. And they're just not feeding him really at all. And so I would imagine his, his touches, his usage, his minutes defensively, he's being used at a, uh, it's not this way anymore. He was at a career high. Actually, you know what it is for him? It's not for Hayes, but it is for him still a career high rate of drop coverage, which makes no sense. That is one of the things you and I pointed at this offseason and said, hey, Lakers aren't that dumb. They're not going to use him and drop coverage 70% of the time like Dallas did. So obviously he's going to take a step up defensively. And the Lakers haven't done that. And so, yeah, he's got a lot of reasons to, to be not all that thrilled.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed.
2: Jared Vanderbilt, you know, weeks ago mentioned that he doesn't know his role. He doesn't, he isn't sure what his role is and that's still kind of being worked out. He was inserted into the starting lineup and it's not a recipe for success. We'll, we'll get into more, you know, I think, you know, not to, to fast forward ahead, but, you know, removing all the playmakers from the starting lineup outside of LeBron makes A D and LeBron, and I think this is related, Tim, to what, what you were saying with the organization of sets going down. You don't want Cam Reddish to initiate a set. You don't want Jared Vanderbilt really to initiate a set. Uh, so it leaves you with LeBron who in theory you would want coming off of a pin down or off of a, a screen to be able to catch the ball with an advantage and somebody who can get it there. Or if he back cuts, make a, a great bounce pass to like a D'Angelo Russell, you know, to or in Austin Reeves there's there's no inverted pick and rolls coming with like Jared Vanderbilt cuz they don't give a crap if he pops you know what i mean so lots of dynamic things that you can do i feel like with some of the sets is just gone and then we haven't seen like a a, a supplementation of a new kind of action it's AD post lebron AD pick and roll help beaters which is fine we want to develop that too but it's uh it's it's made the Lakers much more of a one note offense while taking away some of the dynamics they can have on that weak side. Whether they run actions or not, you mentioned in the last pod. I don't give a damn if Cam Reddish is has a pin flare set for him, like twenty five percent from three, go crazy, like shoot twenty of them all day. Um, and so Vanderbilt not getting used in the short role. Uh, we've mentioned Vanderbilt, you know, not having a consistent kind of you know staggering with Anthony Davis as a non-spacer so it's just mm-hmm. not being set up there and you know it's yeah. frustrating
3: he's a type of player that can have their career impacted by how well or poorly they're used cuz there are things he's really good at there are things he's really bad at and the lineups and the scheme and the role that he's in can largely dictate whether or not he looks good or not on any given day and a lot of it is stuff that we we talked about earlier this season and the off season. I did my hear me out. Vando shouldn't start uh, stream where we talked about like stagger him with AD get him Like when you look at his offensive role usage, uh, th- the w- times where he's just having to stand around the dunker spot or space, he's not a good player. He's one of the worst players in the NBA from an offensive standpoint. And when he's able to like, screen for others on ball or off ball he's not nearly as much of a problem with with utah he was a poor offensive player but not the bottom five impact guy he was with the lakers last season and it should have been a lesson learned for the team it should have been something he and his agent were very aware of we need to make sure i'm used well or you know uh, my career could be cut short a little bit he's still only 24 he's going to have more opportunities but you know this is money potentially and then defensively if he's used in roles that make sense and a scheme that makes sense, you know, he can look like a monster and other times he's out there, you know, dying on screens because the Lakers are running drop coverage with him at the point of attack and it doesn't look good. And that's been happening way too frequently this year. So yeah, I I think he's certainly got reason to be upset. Max Christie, the next guy he's been part, I know he's a young guy and maybe part of this is just like, you know, you shouldn't be entitled or, you know, young guys get treated worse, but I don't think that necessarily has to be the case. He's someone that as an off-ball player, he's shot 40% on his on his spot-up threes. He's at 1.25 points per possession. He, is, uh, he was in the Lakers' most functional starting lineup this season. They played the third most uh, minutes on the year. It was their best by raw net rating, luck-adjusted net rating, by the shot quality tracking I'm doing in the half court. And we haven't seen that lineup used again in 13 games. And so if you're him, you got to be a little frustrated. And again, He's younger, maybe he's got more patience with this or just knows, you know, this is going to take some time. And, you know, all things equal, maybe a vet gets, you know, leaned on a little bit more, but he's been part of success the team has had. And then on the other hand, he's been thrown in some lineups where he needs to be like a primary ball handler or secondary ball handler. And that's not him. That's not his skill set right now. And he's been horrible at those things. And, you know, rightfully so, his impact data isn't very good right now because he spent way too much time doing things he's bad at. So from a role and from a minute standpoint, he's somebody that I think has every reason to be a bit upset with how things have unfolded this year.
2: I'm no uh, I'm no human resources expert, but if you have a meritocratic kind of um, hierarchy of performance equals minutes, or you know this is what we want from you, a communication structure from the coach, from the leaders, to where look, Max, we need you to do. This more, we need you to do this less, or when you're on the court, we need you to do these things. And the minutes we have seen from him lately have been much better than the minutes we saw. And that's the kind of growth you expect from a guy as young as that to get reps and experience. He didn't play all that much last season, you know, he didn't have time with the G League like we would have hoped as much. So he's learning through film, right? He's learning through the handful of minutes he's getting if he is playing and to see improvement in the small sample it's it's hard to understand why you can see cam reddish continuing to make the same mistakes turning the ball over attacking poor closeouts you know making bad decisions consistently make some of the same mistakes when you see in in shabug and in, in chat made a great point earlier is torian prince playing through the shooting slump right Someone else gives a shooting slump, they get benched, they get pulled. Christian Wood is – so it's that – it's meritocratic or it's not, right? And it's different rule sets, different structures for different guys, different kind of expectations and uh, different length of rope. It's hard to buy into that from a team perspective to do what they're asking you to do when you see yourself kind of being treated differently. Whether he's 20 years old or not, I don't think that matters to me
3: yeah yeah if if you're trying to make the most of what you have, you need to fully consider everybody. You can't put on extra biases and have prejudice towards certain players or against certain players for reasons that don't have anything to do with how well are we going to perform. And maybe age is a shortcut for ah eh, young guys usually aren't ready. and right now, Max isn't ready to do a lot of things, but there are things he is good at currently that would help this team, and he's really their only real two-way option if you're looking at someone to insert in that starting lineup along with braun ad prince and either dilo or reeves he makes sense as a two-way wing you have a lot of other guys that are one way and when you you know look at how he's gone out there and performed and the team has performed with them out there in those good usage lineups it's hard to just ignore that and say ah you know we don't care your third most used lineup on the season we don't want to see it again we, we don't, n- none of that matters. The theory's there. It was there in reality. It was there if you adjust the, you know, sh- you know luck-driven outcomes. We don't care. Go, go back to the benchmarks. That's got to be frustrating. Now, I think yeah. the last guy, and I don't, we don't need to spend time on, on the South Bay Laker guys, and, you know, JHS is going to need some time to develop. But I, I think Max, or I'm sorry, not Max, Jackson Hayes is the last player I'd want to bring up. And for him, I know his, he's, he'd gotten some minutes there for a bid, and now Wood is getting his minutes I'd say both of them offensively haven't been deployed situationally in the way I'd like to see, but from, for Hayes, from a minute standpoint, you know, he, he had a good get going for a little bit as, as the backup center. That's not there today. Um, I mean, he's actually probably today. He will play just because we're down several players, but the thing with him that I would expect him to be most frustrated with and his agent potentially to be frustrated with has to come back to the ball screen defense. He, for much of this season, and I recently was you know, angrily tweeting about this. And actually, since then, it's changed. I'm not saying I've caused that. But before that, uh, which was you know, a couple of weeks ago, there was an 80-20 split for him and Wood collectively between drop coverage and then switching and hedging, if you just look at those three things. Recently, it's been a two-to-one split, a uh, 67-to-33 split between switching and hedging. So they're now using Hayes at the things he's good at. And not as much drop coverage. But for most of the season, he was being used in a defensive role from coverage standpoint that didn't make sense for his skill set. And that, just like, you know, Prince's offensive role or Christie's offensive role has to be something that he should be aware of and and probably frustrated by. So we we literally just went through and like every player other yeah. than LeBron on this roster has some reason to be upset. And, you know, I I don't think this is something that it matters as much if the team is seven and three in the last 10 games instead of three and seven, you probably don't hear about the locker room stuff. But if the team isn't performing and at the end of the day, you know, you're you're getting paid either way at the end of the day. But at the end of the day, if you're not able to achieve those winning goals, the personal stuff then becomes more for, you know, front of your focus because we're not going to win anyway. I want to set myself up to succeed, which may you know counteract you know leaning in and buying in and doing all the things that we need from the players in order for the team to turn around things and, and start winning again. So we're at a tipping point or we're coming up to a tipping point where if you can't take these 12 players that we just talked about and get them aligned and pointed in the same direction and bought into their roles and in roles that make sense for them, you're not going to get 100% out of this roster. You might get 80% or 85%. But if you can't get 100% of this group, you're not a title contender. And if you make a trade and you send out a couple of these guys and the remaining ones are still giving you 80%, you're not a title contender. So you know, you can look at the trades and we'll talk about trades in a couple of minutes. But in addition to that, you need to be able to use players well and then keep them bought in and engaged or the, the ceiling of the season is gone.
2: Yeah, absolutely. The only thing I'll say about Jackson Hayes is I feel a deep, irrational hatred for watching him play basketball, and <laughs> him being in the pick and roll coverage. I don't think it's going to change that. Um, but again, I did say it was logical, irrational. I think he's very. I think he's bad at basketball personally, and I feel um, <laughs> immovable on that. But I hope to be wrong. Um, the, but the thing I love about this Tim is. What we talked about with each of these guys isn't like, um, you know, Darvin Ham is mean to me, right? These Mm -hmm. are all basketball reasons. And these are professional basketball players. And they can see all these things, you know, much better than me, at least. These guys, as professionals, and that's part of what I was tweeting out during the Pelicans game that's so frustrating. As a professional in your job, you're not – expected to you know have the whole scope maybe or the big picture the way a coach would but you could see how the pieces fit together and they can see these same things i think too and building off of a kind of an an analogy of you know building a house with a team and your players are your tools right it feels like we're trying to split a two by four with a sledgehammer versus a saw right the Tools are not being used properly. Can you bang in a nail with a sledgehammer? Sure. But it's not the perfect use of things, right? Like it might execute the thing and it's going to do it poorly or more poorly than the other tool that's built for that. Mm -hmm.
3: Yeah, I, I think the approach is bad for the team to succeed this year. I think it's bad for the team to pitch to free agents next year. When you can, you know, if I am representing a big man that is good at switching and hedging, I ain't going to the Lakers. We just saw them use Damian Jones in heavy drop coverage and then Jackson Hayes and Christian Wynn, the same thing. Like, this team doesn't know how to use players. There's no way I'm sending my guy over there.
2: And it spans coaches. It's different coaches, too. And
3: and it's different coaches. Like, if you are a off-screen shooter, I don't want to go play for the Lakers. They're just going to have me stand in the corner. I'm not as valuable then. I don't get as much money that way. Like, and, and it's not like we're trying to say, Hey, Jackson Hayes could be a $10 million player, but Jackson Hayes out of min should be able to provide, you know, excess value on that or be passable at the things he's good at and be used at the things he's good at to do his job. Like I'm not the, the, the handyman. So I don't, I'm not, I don't have the full bag of tool knowledge, but I'm sure there's a tool out there that's good at what it does, but can't do a whole lot of other things. And if you try to make it do other things, you give me a
2: specialist. An,
3: yeah. specialist. Um, we'll get away from tools, um, but it's, it's got a <laughs> special purpose. And if you ask them to do other things, it's not going to be as effective. And it's not going to, you know, as an onlooker, you're not saying, Oh, I want to go get that tool. Cause it looks, right. it, it's not making sense. Like I, part of the thing I looked at yesterday, the stream, go check it out again is looking at Hayes's you know, defensive coverages, which we looked at, but then also the offensive deployment. And the fact that, when it comes to putbacks and dump offs and rolls and things like that, he's not being used at the things offensively that he's good at. So, what point is there to have him out there? And it's not that he's suddenly become a, a worse screen setter. He's never been a great screen setter, but he has in the past been able to be used as a lot threat, as a dump off guy, as a roll man, as a, so, someone on the boards. And you can you can get putbacks, you can get offensive rebounds out of five out. Go watch Utah Jazz basketball, but. When Jackson Hayes isn't asked to do the things he's good at offensively or defensively, I'm with you. I don't want him on the court. He doesn't yeah. make any sense. He's not a good it's, basketball no. player. If he's yeah. asked to do things he's not good at. And on top of that, looking at the coverages bit, there was a bit of shooting luck going against him in a couple coverages where it's probably felt like when he switched, it's been horrible. It's been better than that. Guys have just hit really tough shots. And that's the piece of, that's a, another theme I was looking at with, the analysis yesterday is looking at what were the results, and the results directly impact how we feel about things. And then what do the process numbers look like? And it just so happened that with Wood and Hayes in drop coverage, they had either really good shooting luck um, from a defensive standpoint or it was about average. But then when those guys were used hedging and switching, opponents have scored more than we really should expect them to score moving forward. And so that might be influencing the way the coaching staff is looking at using these guys. And they might be like, oh, wow. Christian was actually a really good drop big. We're going to use him as, you know, primarily a drop coverage guy, which doesn't make sense and shouldn't yield good results. But because we've had a fluky smaller sample so far that has, that might change their way of thinking. And that's where you need to be grounded in, in, you know, the best information possible. And that's where you need to be able to lean on your analytics staff to, to put the right info in front of you. And I don't know if that's, I don't know if that's happening or not. I'm not saying it's not happening.
2: I think that's a good transition into another topic that you touched on there is the Lakers first quarter defense and their struggles in the first quarter. I did see recently that the Pistons have led after one quarter more frequently than the Lakers have the three and 30 Detroit Pistons. And it's, I think it stems from multiple reasons, right? Lakers have multiple starting lineups and have had similar issues throughout the season. So it's not only this new recent lineup that we don't like, but I think, so the, the argument for Ham or from Ham has been he likes how this lineup is able to switch, right? The size, uh, and, and for context, we're talking about the Cam Reddish, Torian Prince, Vanderbilt, LeBron AD, or sub-Rui for Cam who's, who started for him when he was injured. He likes that that, that lineup can switch, and that's great. The Lakers have switched A lot more as of late than they started the season with and i think there's a lot of times that that's good that's a a good thing they're going to need to develop and 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 harness for the playoffs to have that multiple coverage ability however (laughs) it's at the expense of spacing in the most brutal ways and we've touched on vando and cam being non-spacers but anthony davis is a non-spacer as far as, you know, three point line. He has gravity in the post, which allows those players to get decent looks. If they're able to coordinate good help beaters and that's hit or miss. I think they, they need to diversify some of how they get there as well. And on top of being, you know, a Vando cut to the rim. Uh, if he gets blocked by, I think he, who do you get blocked by the other night? Like Mike Conley, not Mike Conley, but someone very small, small, You know, it makes it tough and it's, it's, it's sacrificing one thing for another. Right. And I guess, what would you Lakers have also had very bad luck against three point shooters in general, uh, this, this in December, but I guess what, what's the most worrying thing, I guess, what's the, the the thread that needs to change if this starting lineup continues and wants to have success.
3: I don't. I don't think the starting lineup is viable. I don't. I don't think you can. I. No, you can't it, just fix it. Yeah. Like in theory, the theory would be this group is good enough defensively that you're going to be so strong on that end, and then the great defense is going to lead a transition offense, and that's going to bolster you on the offensive end, and then LeBron and AD they're just going to have more possessions, and they'll just be able to take care of the ball and and take care of the scoring more. And, uh, you know, if, if you have a down shooting slump for Prince or, or Reeves or dealer, or whoever, you know, you're shooting around the same as these, you know, Vanda Reddish guys are anyway. So who cares? That hasn't been reality. Like there's been a clear difference in the, the spacing of those lineups. And you don't always have to have great shooters to have good spacing. Like we saw with the Lakers title team, they would stick, uh, Howard, or McGee in the dunker spot, and those guys had good vertical gravity, vertical spacing. You could throw a lob to them, and great. Like, you can't leave them alone, even if they're standing next to the room, because if you step over, boom, we're throwing the oop. That's not the case for Vando and Radish. Those aren't guys that you need to worry about that way. So when they're standing in the dunker spot, the defense gets to play goalie, (laughs) and that is not a good way to play offensively is when the defense has a goalie. And we've seen that materialize in 50% Of the shots this lineup has taken at starting group have been either blocked or heavily contested. They're getting smothered at the rim, and it's it's so much higher. The average lineup for the Lakers among the top 15 used lineups is 26% for heavily contested or blocked. This lineup's at 50%. 27% of their shots have been blocked at the rim. That's the highest of any Lakers lineup that's had any sort of usage. And it's not like, oh well, it's it's okay because we're getting good threes. The non-Vando threes, which, by the way, an open Vando three—that I don't. That's not what we're looking for. Those, those are not good. That's not good offense. The open, the non-Vando threes with that lineup have been open only 14% of the time, which is the lowest for any Laker lineup, any Mm -hmm. Laker lineup with any amount of usage. That's horrible. So offensively, it's completely untenable. I'm a scheme guy. I take pride in being able to find the little outs and the little, little, you know, tweaks and technical, tactical things that can. You know, problem solve, I don't have anything for us. There are things you can try to do, but none of it is sustainable. None of it is stuff that I think can be used and and give the chance real team team a real chance to succeed. And then we're seeing the offense being so bad lead to the transition defense being vulnerable. And in two of the three games, the transition defense for the starting lineup has been torched at an incredibly higher rate than all of the other Lakers lineups. So that's worrisome and then defensively. like they've been good. But you have other lineups you go to you can go to that are also decent defensively. And the difference on offense is just so, so much more. So it's it's bad in key process areas that worries me. I don't see a clear fix. Some of the success of this group has been unsustainable levels of rebounding on both ends of the court. Unless, like if you look at their offensive and defensive rebounding rates, they would have been, you know, highest by far last season of any lineup that's played any sort of real minutes. We shouldn't expect. This to be the best rebounding lineup that's ever been assembled. Like, that's just not realistic. So even if you take those values out, sub in like first-ranked offensive and defensive rebounding rate for this lineup, their luck-adjusted net rating drops like ten points. So we're seeing a level of performance in areas that isn't sustainable, and maybe it's fooling the staff and allowing this to continue for longer than it than it should. But that's super concerning to me. And just Vando in general when he's been on the court. Of the 339 players with 100 or more minutes this season, if you look at the the shot quality that Second Spectrum calculates accounting for shooter um, with him on the court versus off the court, the difference is the fourth worst of any player this season. Like when he's out there, the Lakers get worse shots when Jared Vanderbilt's playing. Um, by the way, LeBron's like top, he's 11th, top guys are like Jokic, Curry, KD, John Morant's up there, Giannis, Donovan Mitchell. Like- It gives you a good look at when these guys are out there, we get good offense or we get bad offense. When Vando's out there, he tanks the Lakers offense. And so far they've been very lucky with defensive three point percentage with that lineup. They've been very lucky with their rebounding with that lineup. And they've also been lucky with their shot making with that lineup. The synergy shot making, uh, or not synergy second spectrum shot making value that again, accounts for shooter has, uh, Vando leading the team in the luck just in terms of the Lakers are shooting better than they really should be, or we should expect them to. And that's masked how bad reality has been. But if the Lakers are looking at the results rather than the process, this failed experiment experiment is going to continue on longer than it really should. And I don't know, this is a key moment for me to watch the staff and see how they pivot. Cause if they don't pivot, it's bad. If they do immediately pivot, it's probably, uh, you know, it, it will be a step in the right direction does that undermine their credibility with the locker room or are they going to try to stick it out and prove that they know what they're doing and try to keep pushing something that clearly isn't working.
2: Yeah. Right now I think they're 23rd in offensive rating and that's, that's so bad. That's you can't be a bottom seven, you know, bottom 10 team and expect to go anywhere in the playoffs as a contender. And while the defense has gone up and, and gotten better, it's, it's way, way way too disproportionate to where this team needs to be to be uh consider considering themselves a contender and frankly if i'm trying to find positives for this the lakers struggles and the the extent to which they're they're failing right now on offense is an indicator of how much they do need d'angelo russell and his playmaking and not just him being out the last few games, but him having a minimized role. And when he is there, the offense, you know, still isn't running quite as many sets, but they're still doing better. If mm-hmm. And yeah, outside of like extra great shot making from these starters, it's a bad process. It's going to yield bad results. Hopefully sooner than later, Lakers have an easier schedule in January, but if they continue to struggle, and they, we still have a few weeks before trades are for this team is, is viable. So it might change their perspective on D'Angelo Russell, who signed a very trade friendly contract, right? So that's my, why if I'm trying to find some glimmer of hope, it's that their struggles here have, if it's extreme enough, you know, will hopefully make them see it, like the proper process by way of bad results. Does that make sense? Yeah,
3: it's yeah,
2: you want to win every game you can,
3: but if you're going to lose a game either way, I'd rather it be like a dumpster fire and allow them to, if that's what it takes for them to look in the mirror and then fix something quicker rather than try something that won't work for an extra 10 games, it could make a difference on the season. And that's not something you have to, you want to have to root for as a fan. Uh, But yeah, that's just fixing the lineups would make such a big difference and when we look at like quarter by quarter, how the team has performed the first quarter has been really problematic for them. And I think offensively it has to do with, with some of the lineups they've used. And then defensively, the one thing that really stands out to me and I tweeted out today is opposing teams, three point shooting, uh, looking at their expected three point percentage versus their actual uh, the expected by expected percentage, the Lakers defense has consistently each quarter been about at the same level. But in terms of shot making and and that lock, the Lakers opponents have shot six percent better on their three pointers in the first quarter than we would expect them to, which is super unlucky it's It's the second highest uh, discrepancy of any team in the league. That's that is making it so the Lakers defensive rating in first quarters looks so much worse than it really should be. It goes from six percent to less than one percent in the second quarter, point negative point one percent in the third quarter, and then negative one point five percent in the fourth quarter. So it's really just the first quarter sh- shooting defense. And it's just kind of a luck thing that is making things look worse than, than they really should be
2: So, And that's for the whole season, right? That's not lineup: yes,
3: specific. that's for the whole season. That's, that's not lineup specific. And actually that starting lineup that we're seeing with, with Reddish and Vando, they've given up only uh 12 and percent shooting from three on wide open threes from opponents. So they've been pretty lucky.
2: 12 and frequency. Do twelve and a half percent shooting,
3: one out of 8 one out of eight, one out of eight. It's not a huge sample, but one out of eight right. shooting on wide open threes they've conceded.
2: Interesting. So you know, I think there's there's other issues that come with being a, a singly, singularly switching defense, right? When it makes you and they're to be charitable toward them, perhaps they're building more diversity in and trying to improve that. Um, communication Anthony Davis was kind of talking about, but problems that can come around from that. Right, taking Anthony Davis away from the rim. Smart teams are going to build in switch beaters and know this starting lineup is going to be switch heavy if they don't switch up their, you know, consistency and kind of the um, the solution for the the bench unit has been play a lot of zone. There's just a lot of zone going on mm-hmm. still. So you have these two very beatable systems. If you, if you scheme for them night in night out problems, bring Anthony Davis, you know, further away from the hoop. Lakers defensive rebounding has been suspect uh, again over the last few stretch of games where they've been beaten with Anthony Davis being switched out under that lineup. I feel like that's somewhere that the team and the effort can improve as well. Um, and we've talked plenty about tracking box outs and, and, and holding that accountability for the team as the coach, but switching is also, you know, a thing that'll bring LeBron into ball actions and make him use more of that energy bar. And, and it's that extra effort in the communication. And I just, I don't like that. It's so consistently only switching. They give up soft switches a lot where it's, you could easily kind of recover, but the scheme is right now just switch, right? and And I don't know. I, I'm a little concerned about that. Um, if that is to be the team's strength, I still think there's there's weaknesses that can be exploited fairly easily,
3: yeah. and any coverage has its weaknesses. It has its strengths. You want to, you know, be able to work on some of the little things within each of them that help make it better and and that comes down to with switching, like, you know, if we give up a 1-5 a switch and now we've got a point guard guarding the center and under the rim, you know, get that, getting that guy out of there and having a weak side defender that's a bigger guy, go take that center. So you're minimizing the mismatch. Or if they your, do get the ball into the post before you can switch right, out of right, it, double team right. and then get that guy out of there. Some of those what little what things.
2: If your point matter? guard, quote unquote, is 6-6, six six, they're supposed to be like, we're fine with this, right? This is what we want. Yeah. That's the intention, at least.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and in that case, then maybe you don't have any of that switching and you just kind of defend as is. And if so, that minimize, like when you do need to scram guys out of there, you make yourself vulnerable because you temporarily have two on the ball. If you have lineups that are playing where you've got a bunch of similarly sized players that can guard one through five in theory, or at least enough, then maybe you don't have to do any of that. But I I don't think we've seen with some of those lineups, like the offensive viability hasn't been there to, to really justify it. But I don't know. I I do think when you see drop coverage beat, it feels different than when you see switch switching defense get beat. Cause it's usually you're attributing it to a guy or it's like, Oh no, we, this guy can't contain when there might be other plays where they do contain and you just don't notice it as much. I, I feel like when you get beat in a switching defense, it just feels worse. And that's something I try to ground myself on and try to look at the numbers. And so far this season, and this is something I looked at in in the uh, stream yesterday, looking at how the defense has fared in the different coverages overall as a team, they have been the least lucky or they've been the most unlucky with opponent shooting against switching. That has been an area where all the other coverages has been about what you'd expect, but against the Lakers switching, opponents have shot way better than they should even okay. accounting for who they are as shooters. So Fair enough. that would be my thing of like, Hey, it has been bad, but it won't be this bad. And that's even with the team still having opportunity to build in some of those little granular tactics to make it look a little, a little better.
2: Yeah. It just makes it feel like a complete, you know, failure. If that's the thing that you're supposed to be, you know, built off of and you're not able mm-hmm. to make a meaningful difference there, but I don't know. Um Yeah, we're we're going a tiny bit long today. But before we go, I do want to briefly touch last, you know, pod. We talked about the the Bulls situation, the, you know, a little bit of reporting from like Yovan Buha and Donald Mayberry, uh, who's a uh, Bulls beat reporter. And and you were able to speak with a couple of people as well with with better knowledge of the Bulls than we are and where they are to provide some context as a team who. As Jovan and and Darnell also mentioned, they they're not blowing it up. They're not selling for picks per se. So any trade, if we were to expect one with them, they would want something that makes sense at least. And and what that means for the Lakers' package going back, I don't know who they might value over um, the the picks that the Lakers could offer. I guess. At what context have you kind of gleaned from those conversations, Tim?
3: yeah I spoke to two two individuals who covered the team and and are closer, and they shared a lot of like what you just mentioned, where this is a team that wants to stay competitive. They're not trying to compete for a title. And they'd love to, but they want to stay competitive. This is a team that does not have a tolerance for like we we don't want to make a trade where we're just giving away value for you know some future draft picks, and then we're going to stink right now. So in that way, the fact that the Lakers can only trade one first round pick, whether it's their 2029 20, or 2023 2030. 20, 20, 30, sorry, I should 2029 20, or 2020 2030. 20, um, they can't do both of them, but one of those two that's the most you can do from a first round pick standpoint. It would have to be that. And then, you know, D'Lo or Reeves or Rui or Vincent, who is more of a longer term, uh, you know, guy you'd be going after just because he's on a three year deal this year, is probably, you know, you're not getting much out of him until the very end of the season. So They may not value him much, and that's what I was told. Um, Rui is someone that they're likely looking at as depth and not a high value piece, but someone that they can bring in as a wing or forward and be a bench guy. And for what he's paid, 17 million next year, 18.3 million the next year, him as a bench piece isn't the most appealing trade asset to pursue. But if you're going after like a Zach Levine or, or one of those guys with a lot of money on their contract, Really might just have to be part of that deal. And as the Lakers, I'd say he's one of the more replaceable guys right now. Like he's not closing games. He's not starting games. You're not run, able to run offense through him. He's more of an off-ball player offensively. And then defensively, he's not someone taking on tough matchups. So I think he fits into a switch scheme just because he's got general size. But he's replaceable for you. But other teams are seeing that as well. So Reeves is likely going to be someone that's highly valued and coveted and, and someone that's gone after D'Lo, I was told if Chicago got him, they would be looking to flip him immediately. And because of that, like you don't really have a whole lot. Like it's gonna have to look like Reeves in a first round pick is kind of the core of what they'd be looking for. And I don't know if that's palatable for the Lakers. I would assume it is not. But if you're expecting to get like Alex Crusoe for a first-round pick and Rui, Chicago's not gonna do that. They're, they want two first-round picks or equivalent value for him. And I don't think going from Caruso to Rui is something that will be perceived positively from from their perspective. Now, DeRozan is someone that we had interest in. We talked through. We thought he could run a bench unit. I was told that they're in no rush to move him. He's on an expiring deal, which maybe you'd think means they're more in a rush too. But the team's playing well. He's a big part of the team. He's been a super clutch player for them. They intend to resign him on a longer-term deal for less money. He's still a very good player. So. They would be looking for two really good assets, at least, to to be moving off of him. And you know, between the fact that they're wanting to stay good and they're like also not really in the mood to make a trade today, just because they've won ten of their past sixteen games. That's a great win percentage. They have the fifth easiest schedule the rest of the year. They have the third easiest schedule in the NBA until the trade deadline. When we look at the free positive residual. Uh, NBA calendar tool when you look at, you know, travel and and back-to-backs and home and away games and who they're playing, they've got a really easy stretch up ahead. The they're going to be rolling by the time, you know, teams are really in the thick of trade discussions towards the deadline. So it just isn't making out to be a good situation for the Lakers to pursue Caruso or DeRozan. The one guy that we, the two of us didn't have much interest in, but Chicago would be more than willing to move would be Zach Levine. And the reason for that is he's not currently contributing to that team performing well. So they're okay moving him, but he makes a bunch of money. So you're going to have to package together. Like it would have to be like a a three for three or three for two sort of trade where you put together like Rui Vincent and then either Reeves or Dula. And if you want a three for three where you're getting three guys back, maybe under Drummond, one year deal, he's older Troy Craig, cheap deal. He's older. It, along with Levine, you would have to trade out like Delo, Rui, and Gabe Vincent, and probably a first-round pick to make the money work. You you can't sub Reeves in for Delo and have the money work. Um, now, if you're willing to do a three for two, then you can sub. Uh, you could sub. You know, swap out the the point guard piece of that. But I, I don't know, Tom. Having to try to actually put together a trade that makes sense for the CBA and then both teams, I'm really struggling to find something unless. Chicago is you know somebody gets injured they start losing games even against their easy schedule and then they're in the mood to start trading guys away and there's also not a very good market because I think you can easily beat what the Lakers have to offer right now if you're another team I just we haven't gotten deep enough into the trade season where when I was talking to these people they were like well this is the trade that is on the table you can't beat that we haven't gotten to that point but you know check in in three weeks and I think we'll we'll probably have reached that point where if Chicago is going to do a deal, it's not going to be for 75 cents on the dollar and it's going to be for something that's more expensive than the Lakers can can do.
2: You know what? God bless Chicago. I'm so grateful for their change of perspective because it makes me feel to your point, Tim, like a trade is less likely between these two teams, And that makes me happy um, to think that like the, the sentence they want to be competitive, but not compete for a title is just, fantastic like lol gm work um it's the only thing that worries me if the lakers continue to struggle the way they have is their their desperation being willing to overpay for a levine for the sake of switching things up a la russell westbrook but the not really caring to move demar derozan it's like all right that's weird but fine Alex Crusoe still has another year after this one. So it's okay. That's a good, you know, unless you reset, it makes fine. That's fine. But the notion that, that they're like content with be, they want to make sense still. And I, I don't know. I'm God bless him. It makes me feel confident that a trade won't happen. And I like that. The only thing maybe that makes more sense is I was trying to think about this last week was, where D'Angelo Russell makes sense outside of just a bulls framework or if they were to bring in a third team and really the only place I came up with outside of a salary dump is the Spurs. Um, Now they have Trey Jones. They don't play him as much as they probably should next to Wemby, but if they wanted to have a table setting point guard, who was able to get Wemby into his spots and, you know, not worry too much about wins and losses from a, a defensive end or long term end. You know, his short contract as well. That makes sense. I'm not sure what they'd be willing to give up that Chicago might want in return. Obviously, not like a Vassell or even a Keldon Johnson, but if they had interest in Sohan, or which I don't think they would trade. So I don't really see the appeal for San Antonio or the the rush. Um, so if I were to try to think through if the Lakers were interested in trading D'Angelo Russell and the bulls wanted him somewhere else who might hop in as a third partner, It it's even harder to, for me to see like kind of a, a, a pragmatic uh, answer there.
3: Yeah, it's tough. The Lakers not having more than one pick to move is tough. The, them being over the hard cap is, is challenging. Like it's, it's a tough situation and uh, it's making me less confident that something's going to happen. It's also raising my confidence in the uh, framing of this as these two teams are destined to trade with each other as, is kind of like Zach Levine (laughs) clutch, trying to get him out of there uh, sort of messaging because these teams don't make a whole lot of sense from a CBA standpoint or, or even from a like on court Standpoint. So, yeah, it's odd. It, one thing I was looking at really quickly with D'Lo that really shocked me was looking at his pick and roll play. Only 16% of his shots this year on ball screens have been three pointers, which is a career low for him. He's regularly been in like the mid 30s in terms of of those shots. So, about half as many of his attempts out of ball screens have been threes as he normally has shot, and he's only shooting 25% on his pick and roll pull up threes. And that's like both low, like both like career low sorts of numbers. So it will get better than this. Um, if the team installs some, some uh drop beaters, as you can watch me draw up on the, the YouTube video that's up, this will improve, but both DLO and Reeves have really struggled against drop coverage from a generating high effectiveness shot standpoint. Thankfully with Reeves, there's been some good shooting luck with his ball screens, not him specifically, but with his ball screens that's masked this, but the process is poor. Um, but I'm sorry, but zooming out like D'Lo isn't showing D'Lo at his best right now from a tendency standpoint or from an effectiveness standpoint. And we just saw him go through a really rough shooting month. He can bounce back. Like he, this is a really good player that that makes sense on this team. And I don't know. I think with the, the guys on this team right now, you can make so much better use of them and you can get the Lakers into a much better position in the standings. But we shall
2: see. We're, you know, hopeful, if not, you know, still worried. But I think this team has a lot of versatility, maybe, you know, too much versatility. And Austin kind of talked about that a little as well about not really forming that identity quite yet. And whether it be around injuries or poor coaching or, or process, whatever you want to call it. I think this team is a, a markedly better ceiling than what they're kind of realizing, right, and actualizing right now. So I'm hopeful. Uh, continue to follow us on Playback. and appreciate your support. We're, I'm going to stream the game later uh, for Miami. You know, go check out Tim's video on YouTube. The, the, the what was it? So, what for change? The the case for change the case I for change. Yes. Yes. And why I there, think the
3: YouTube video itself is called something along the lines of like how to fix the season or something like
2: that. That's, that's I what I did. Um, but like go through that, you know, while you're there, subscribe and take a screenshot. Send that to Tim, myself or the pod Twitter account. You can get in our discord Tim. So there's a lot, a lot of, we're going to be hitting more with bonus pods and that once now that the holidays are up and, uh, Yeah, we appreciate everybody for listening. We'll be back soon.
3: Thank you for joining us. Shout out to the folks in in the Discord at the various tiers. Uh, TJ Simitaji, Leo Green Blue at that arena sponsorship tier. And then Zach Harris, Qdadio, iPod Shuffle, Omar Romario, Kneel Mason, and Shibugan in the owner's box. We see some of you here today asking some great questions in chat. And bring those over to the Discord. I'll I'll answer some of those over there. Um, Thank you to the Courtside and Lower Bowl crews as well. We've got some good content coming up on the way. Um, Yeah, Tom, let's go Lakers. Hopefully they win against Miami and we can, you know, turn this thing around.
2: Let's get it. I'll talk to you guys next time.